I invite you to remain standing for the reading of the gospel passage. Our gospel lesson this morning is taken from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. And when they had heard of the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child of Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been, having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Wow. It is a happy New Year. It's, um, it's been a busy few weeks, um, as it is for everyone, and it's good to be back here and just kind of getting underway in 2020 here on the, this first Sunday of, of this year. And, and it begins the challenge that we face every year, at least I face every year. And that has to remember on datelines to put the new year down, 2020, instead of 2019. Of course, we don't write as many checks as we used to, um, which does help in that respect. But remember that. Remember the challenges we face in these cyclical times. And, and speaking of these cycles, we are in this lectionary cycle that began in the first Sunday of Advent. And now we are landing on Epiphany Sunday. Tomorrow, the 6th of January, will be the 12th day of Christmas, the Epiphany Day itself. Because this is the closest, nearest Sunday, we will celebrate Epiphany today. So tomorrow, or this evening, our Christmas tree will come down. And all the... Ooh, all, ooh, all, <laughs> all the decorations. <laughs> Got to go back to the attic. But this is a powerful moment in the life of the church as we begin to um, experience and to expose and proclaim that Jesus Christ, that God, is doing something not just for the Jewish people, the elect, those people from Abraham, but for all people, for Gentiles, people like us, people like me. That's who God is including in this incredible story. This passage today, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, is an incredible and strong passage. It is, a, it is the passage for Epiphany Sunday every year. And, and 
as we think about what's happening in this story, there's a number of directions that we could go. We could stand up here and, and have sermons on I don't know how many uh, topics and themes. Certainly when we read about Herod, and as he hears the word from these wise men from the east, from far away, these are not Jewish people. These are from a completely different context, completely different culture, a different lens, a different view of the world. And they come to Jerusalem and say, where is this newborn child, this new king has been born? And when Herod hears this, the scriptures tell us he is frightened. And not just Herod, but his entire court, the entire city of Jerusalem is frightened with him because they know. They know King Herod. They know how anxious he is, how neurotic he is, how paranoid he is, how violent and, and oh, just vengeful he is. And we could certainly... Take a pathway and look at world leaders and talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ, the revelation of God, challenges the typical understanding of world leaders and causes fear, anxiety in the world. Needlessly. But that's not what we're going to do today. We're going to take a different tack today. And we're going to talk about how in this passage we have this revelation, a, a continuing story, if you will, of revelations that God reveals God's self through time. And to understand this, we have to go back. We've got to go way back. We've got to go back to chapter 1, verse 2 of Matthew. And when you begin reading in verse 2 of chapter 1, we have this genealogy that begins with Abraham, works its way to David, and, the, and works its way through a divided kingdom with divided kings and all of their failures. And to the point that Jerusalem falls in the Babylonian hands and is a Babylonian exile. And then moves us beyond the exile and into the lap of Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus Christ. When we read this account, this genealogy, there are four women listed, one of them being Mary, the mother of Jesus. The other three are interesting characters because the three of them, two of them are born Gentiles. The other marries into a Gentile relationship, which makes her a Gentile in the traditions of the rabbis. So four women, three of them are considered Gentile. And these Gentile women are foreshadowings of what God is doing, not just for the Jewish people, not just for the offspring of Abraham, but for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. And the Magi come in chapter 2. These wise men, these astrologers, these dream interpreters to bring home that this story is more than just a Jewish story. It's a human story for all Jew and Gentile alike. And it's interesting to me as we, as we follow these, these magi, they, they follow this star as they read the skies and they look for signs in the, in the skies, reading the stars. 
and there's a star. And they read that as a sign of a new birth, a birth of a new king. And they follow the star all the way to Jerusalem. And they carry on to Bethlehem. To the miraculous point where this star moves and directs their, their movement. Their journey to rest upon a house. Where Mary and Jesus are. It's miraculous. That a star would move in such behaviors that would lead them to a particular house. But that's the story. And the story includes these astrologers, these pagans, these Gentiles who do not see the world as the Jews see them, who do not see the world through the lens of the temple, through the law, through the Old Testament scriptures, through the prophets. But they see the world through pagan religions and philosophies and through astrology. And God meets them where they are and reveals God's self to them where they are. To reveal this mystery. A mystery that they journey to explore, to find more meaning, to find out where is this child, who is this child, and what kind of king will this child become. As I think about this account of revelations, uh, of God revealing God's self to, to the Magi, to the Gentile world, to us, I think about a time many years ago, Leanne and I were living in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, this was around 1995. And when we had opportunities on Saturday afternoons or Saturdays, we would take drives north into the, into the foothills and into the mountains of North Georgia. They were beautiful, fantastic drives. I mean, you can lose yourself. You can lose sense of time and space just driving these winding roads and getting lost. That's exactly what we did. We would drive up Roswell Road until we would get around LJ or we would get around... Um, Delonica, and we would just turn off the main roads and just proceed to get lost. We would spend the day lost wandering around these mountain roads. And if we got hungry, well, we'd pull over and get something to eat, whatever roadside diner we found. We'd make our way back home sometime well after dark. It was a full day. As we were making these journeys early on, we, we would drive up. We came to a little community. I think it was called Crabapple Crossroad. And it's just north of Roswell into Alpharetta. And it's in that little area. Now it's consumed by other, other communities. But at the time, this was a developing area. And there were all kinds of suburbs being developed and, and neighborhoods coming up. But in the middle of this pasture land was a castle. I'm talking about a real castle. And it wasn't a big castle. But it was a castle. And we're driving along and we stumble across this curiosity, this sight. And we, well, we do what everybody did. We pulled over. And we stood there and looked at this thing. And we took pictures. And we got back in the car and we talked about how interesting that in the middle of this nowhere suburbia, developing suburbia, that there was a castle. It was surrounded by this stone and iron fence that went all the way around the property. And, and, and there was this castle with, with round turrets. And, 
and cone-shaped roof and a moat. There was a moat that went all the way around the castle and drawbridges to get you into the carport, the garage. How fascinating. Curious. So whenever we had friends come, we would take them. You gotta see this castle. I'm like castle? Yeah, it's right. It's not far from here. It's in Crabapple. Crabapple. No, no one knew where Crabapple was, and no one, nobody knew about this castle. But it's, it was there. It's still there. So we would take them and show them, and we'd pull over the side road so they could take it all in. You can't go in at somebody's home. So we we began to ask friends, have you? Do you know anything about this castle up and up above around Alpharetta and Roswell? And most people had never heard of it, but some people, oh yeah, we heard about that that guy. He he he, he promised his wife that he would build her a castle, and that's what he did. So I, as I was getting ready for today, I went back online because I was kind of curious. If the thing is still there, and, and apparently it's still there. And there were some articles that people have. We got like me, curious, and they began to do some research and trying to find out who is this, who would do this, who would build a castle in the North Georgia suburbia, and who 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 lives there. What is the point? Well, there's all kinds of stories. In fact, there's not even a lot of agreement of how big this thing is. Most of most most of the stories I read were it's about a 1,400 square foot home, but it can range to 6,600 square feet. Because most of it was subterranean. I, I don't know what's true. I know what is true is it's there. In whatever size. And I know that some guy probably promised his, his fiance or his wife that he would build her a castle. One of the legends of this house is that when he... When he um, uh, Rudy is his name. Rudy, when he proposed to his, his fiance, her name is Ruth... She said, he said, will you marry me? And she said, I will if, if you'll make me your queen. And another legend says that he, he promised her when they got married that he would build her this castle. And she would be the queen of the castle. Now, I don't know what's true about this truck driver and his wife. Apparently what is true is that he built it himself with the help of some friends. And there are stories of him carrying up buckets of mortar and cement concrete to make the roof to build this rock castle, stone castle. Where they lived. Sometime beginning in the 1950s or the 1960s, it was completed in the 1970s. It's all a great mystery. But there's something in that mystery of the castle in Alpharetta that speaks to me and says something about the mystery that these magi stumbled upon that tells them of a great truth that they may not have understood. That was a peculiarity to them. That was a curiosity to them. But it encouraged them and led them to search it out, to explore it, to learn more, to, to gain more understanding. And maybe that's what this whole story is about. Maybe in reading about the Magi following this miraculous star, doing what they do as astrologers, following stars, 
and interpreting dreams to find meaning in life, God revealed something of a truth to them. That God was revealing God's self to not just the Magi, not just these wise men, but to all Gentiles, to us. And as they sought understanding, they learned more. They learned enough not to go back and tell Herod, who would just seek revenge and vengeance. You know, as I think about the revelations that we, that we receive in life, revelations from God, I think about the different avenues, the different ways, the different means that God reveals God's self to us. And when I begin to think like this and, and find myself wondering, how is God revealing God's self to me and to us? To Jew, Gentile, to the world. What is God willing to do? Theologians have thought about this and debated this for years, decades, centuries. Certainly we consider the scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God as a revelation of who God is. What God's doing, what God's desires. Beyond that, we, we, we theologians find that the, the death and the experience of Jesus Christ, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is, a, is the fullest revelation that we have of God. The experience of Jesus Christ. The experience of the church is a revelation. Other theologians speak of the proclamation, preaching, what we're doing right now when we proclaim the Word of God, when we proclaim Jesus Christ, when we proclaim the love and the grace of God, that is a revelation to the world. Whether we speak it from a pulpit or live it out on the street, it's what we're proclaiming, what we believe, the mystery of faith. Others have talked about the sacraments themselves. When we talk about the mystery of faith and receiving the mystery of faith through the sacrament of Holy Communion, that is a revelation of God, revealing God's self, God's sacrifice, God's love and grace for me and for you and for the entire world. Other theologians talk about how we can find revelations of God or God revealing God's self through the, the natural order, the created order of things. If we're careful, if we're intentional and aware, we will find God revealed through nature. Others, people like Frederick Steiermacher, talk about the human experience. Our own experience as a way of understanding something of God, God revealing God's self. Others, like Wolfhard Pannenberg, talk about history. Public, human, world history is a way of understanding God revealing God's self. I don't know all the limits or if there are limits of how God revealed the truth of the divine. But I know I'm very hesitant to place any limits on what God is willing to do for me or for you. To tell me, to tell you, to tell us, to show us 
who God is, what God does, what God desires. And maybe the Magi, these Gentile pagans from the East, maybe they give us an inkling of an idea of just how far God is willing to go. The limits or the limitlessness of God in revealing God's self to the world. That God will meet us where we are, when we are, how we are, to show his great love for us. My prayer for us as I think about these revelations and the revelations of the Magi is that we will not limit our own exploration, that we will, we will find that castle on the side of the road and be curious about it, that we will seek greater and deeper understanding of what happens inside the castle on the side of the road. Because what I believe about that castle on the side of the road is that Rudy fulfilled his promise to build Ruth a castle. To make her the queen of their castle. And they live in a fulfilled promise. And in that fulfilled promise of a castle, they live with joy. And so like that castle for Rudy and for Ruth, when we find revelations of God, of God's self, and God's love and grace for us, And we seek it out. We seek deeper and greater understanding of that love and grace. We will find ourselves uncovering the mystery of a gospel of joy. That's what the church is. It's called to be a a body of of people of the, the absolute essence of God's love and grace for the world. Lived out together proclaiming this love and this grace for the world the very embodiment of that grace and love and when we live our life to the best the best of our ability and the best of our understanding we will be like Rudy and Ruth in their house and we will live life with joy because we are understanding that we live in a life, a life of a fulfilled promise. God's promise He made to Abraham and to David and to Mary, to us. So as you leave today, on Epiphany Sunday, leave with an awareness and intentionality. That God is revealing God's self to us in all kinds of ways that we can proclaim the gospel of joy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.